You're listening to the Wild Talk Podcast, the place to be for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help you spend more time enjoying the natural world. Wild Talk is brought to you by awildlife.co.uk. And this is Helen wishing you a warm welcome to this week's Wild Talk episode. Virtual reality technology is becoming more and more accessible. It offers educational immersive experiences that ignite the senses, and it provides experiences and encounters just for fun, that your mind almost believes are real. Today's Wild Talk episode is with Ian Redmond OBE, who's quickly becoming a pioneer of bringing the natural world into the virtual world. Ian Redmond is a tropical field biologist and conservationist. He's renowned worldwide for his work with great apes and elephants, which he's been doing for 40 years. He worked with the late Diane Fossey, whose work and story was brought to life in the film Gorillas in the Mist and touched the hearts and minds of thousands, if not millions, of people worldwide. In 2006, Ian was awarded an OBE for services to conservation. And in 2009, he was ambassador for the UN Year of the Gorilla. He's the ambassador for the United Nations Environment Programme, Convention on Migratory Species, and he chairs the Ape Alliance, a coalition of ape charities. Ian is also ambassador for virtual ecotourism, an exciting concept for immersive, interactive conservation education. And it's with ecotourism that Ian has been involved with the production of the new virtual reality Ape app. Ian Redmond, welcome to Wild Talk. Ian, my first question for you would be around the movement to get people outside more. How does virtual reality fit in with this? Or does it move away from it? Well, that's, that's for me, I'm a, I'm a naturalist. I want people to go outdoors. I want them to have a pair of binoculars, or if they haven't got binoculars, get a little hand lens, because so much of the interesting wildlife in Britain is, is the, the small creatures. And if you get even just a woodlouse off the kitchen floor and look at it through a hand lens, it is amazing. And that's reality. So I don't want virtual reality to detract people's enjoyment of actual reality, but the fact that it enables you to virtually visit locations around the world, even if you haven't got the money for the airfare, and of course it's um, much less of a <laughs> an impact on the planet if you're not pumping out greenhouse gas emissions to get to distant locations, you can do it virtually. Uh, so it is a very green way of learning about other locations. Uh, so I, I think it has a place. It certainly doesn't replace reality, and I wouldn't want it to. I want children and, and adults to go outside and smell the flowers and see see the, the world with all their senses. And at the moment, VR only does two of our senses. So for tactile, for scent, for the, the feeling of being outdoors, VR fails abjectly. But our minds are easily tricked. And with just two senses going full pelt, eyes and ears, you can really feel like you're there. Uh, so it, it is a, a new and, I think, uh, exciting educational tool. And it's fun. So is it possible that nature virtual reality might help people connect with nature and maybe spark more interest? Most of the people working on VR technology and content are developing games so that you can do extraordinary things in a, a, a made-up world. Uh, what we're doing through the VicoTourism org virtual ecotourism website is showing people our own world but using those those same uh, the same technology that other people use for for playing games 
And I think because the gaming experience is so powerful for those who do it, our hope is that showing the real world using the same technology, there's no computer-generated images in there. It's just video and photographs of our planet. And that's what we want to get across to people, that we have an amazing planet. And even if you live in a city and, and don't get out to the countryside in your own country and haven't got the money to travel to other countries, using VR, you can learn about it and therefore, we hope, care about it and do something to help protect it. So APAT VR, a virtual reality APAT experience, was launched recently. It was developed by V Ecotourism, and I believe the United Nations and Ape Alliance were involved as well. What did the three organisations bring to the app? Well, the, the, the United Nations Great Ape Survival Partnership uh, is a, a coalition of governments and UN bodies, uh, non-governmental organisations, charities, uh, and, and individuals who are all trying to ensure that the Great Apes survive. So the UN Environment Programme, UNEP, have a, an environment assembly where environment ministers uh, from all over the world gather to discuss how best to handle our environment and, and manage it more sustainably uh, and deal with some of the environmental problems. So that was a, a wonderful opportunity to launch Ape App VR to many influential people gathered in one place in Nairobi. Uh, so the Great Apes of Our Partnership Coordinator asked the Ape Alliance, which is not a charity itself, it's a coalition of nearly 100 charities around the world that work on ape issues and the ecotourism to combine our efforts. And over the years when I visit projects in many countries, uh, I take videos and photographs. And since I've been working with ecotourism, I also take panos, these spherical panoramic photographs. Uh, so we had the material. So with the, the Western gorillas, I was filming, I was looking for film of, of them feeding because they have quite delicate uh, ways of preparing their food. And while I was filming one individual, a female who was nervous about me being there charged me. In that virtual visit, you actually get charged by not a silverback, but a female gorilla who was looking out for her group members, her friends, <laughs> and told me to back off. And then very shortly after she settled down, he carried on feeding on a piece of fruit. So you get a little flavour of what it's like to be in the field, in the forest, interacting with these animals, um, with the orangutans that they're up in the trees in, in Borneo. But in Sumatra, I gave people a very different feeling, and that's the pano itself, the spherical photograph I took from an orangutan's nest. And it's an orangutan's nest that was in a little patch of forest left by palm oil expansion. So the industrial agriculture that is destroying so much orangutan habitat and replacing it with serried ranks of palm trees, uh, which grow the oil that we use in our toothpaste and biscuits and ice cream and makeup and fuel tanks. That's what that orangutan wakes up every morning to see. Not a forest, as he grew up learning about from his mother and, and has spent most of his life in. So you, the, the virtual traveller, actually see the same that that orangutan saw when he woke up that morning and looked out across the palm oil plantation. So if APAP shows people the palm oil plantations that have destroyed the orangutan habitat, could it potentially make people feel more compelled to reduce their use of palm oil-containing products? That was my hope. And the, the fact is that we are all implicated in the destruction of ape habitat, but most of us have never had the good fortune to visit it. Now, I have, 
And if I can share that with people in a documentary on television, that's fine. But to really immerse people in that habitat and make them feel um, that it's important, I think VR offers something new. But the hope is that they don't spend their time in VR to the exclusion of everything else, that they come out of the virtual um, experience of a natural habitat and think, now, what am I doing that, that's driving that process of destruction? And what can I do to change that? And is this the first APE experience for virtual reality? Uh, yes, yes. Um, the, the UN Great Ape Survival Partnership did bring out an APE app before, but that was just very conventional blocks of text and photographs and um, it told you about all the apes. And many people downloaded it and, and learned a lot. Fantastic. But this is the first time, to my knowledge, that any species has been revealed to people using virtual reality. But as the uh, technology develops, we hope more and more organizations will start to use it to show their supporters what the organization is doing with their donations. So it's, it's, I think it has a real role to play in educating people about the problems and demonstrating to people what, what uh, organizations are doing to help solve those problems and therefore engaging people in a very visceral way in, in the solutions. So what kind of virtual reality experience do people have with APAP? Is it experiential, educational, both? I think good education is experiential. Um, sitting and looking at a, a blackboard or, or hearing a teacher does transmit information, and if you struggle hard, you can remember it. But if you experience something, then all your senses take it in and you remember it forever. So I hope that teachers will seize upon this and use VR to teach geography, because you can take people to distant places virtually, um, to teach science, because when you're in that location, if you watch the animal behavior, you can take notes. And rather than have someone tell you that gorillas are herbivores and they feed on different kinds of plants and they prepare each plant differently and eat different parts of different plants, you're seeing it with your eyes. So you take in that information without someone just standing in front of you talking to you. So I hope teachers will see the possible application of this in delivering the national curriculum, but also in exciting students about, about research, about, about uh, learning more about the world. And what feedback have you had on APAP so far? Uh, the people at the uh, UN Environment Assembly were very positive about it. Uh, and I think at the moment, for those people who are not in the gaming world and don't go home and strap a VR headset to their heads as a matter of course, you know, I often go into a meeting and, and for everyone in the room, it's the first time they've seen and touched and handled a virtual reality headset. So right now, just the the, the first experience of putting something on and finding yourself transported somewhere else is a real novelty. And I think people are excited by that. But once they get used to the technology, then they're going to start looking more critically at the content. And that's where we have to be on our toes to deliver new and, and better and more detailed and more interesting content. And as soon as we've got the um, the streaming version, where, where if you're on, online, you can stream more videos then each visit can be much more elaborate. And that's what's coming next. So what's your favourite part of APAP? The chimpanzee one was nice because I went on an expedition to Gashaka Gumti National Park um, with Professor Volker Sommer um, of uh, University College London. And we were looking for uh, an unknown kind of ape, which 
local hunters who said they thought lived in the forest there, which we didn't find. Uh, and we didn't actually see chimpanzees on the expedition. But uh, Volker Sommer has uh, camera traps provided by the Max Planck Institute that are trying to study uh, apes in forests even when there are no people around. So they leave the camera traps there. And the little bit of video of chimpanzees um, fishing for ants and the young chimpanzees watching closely the mother to see how they do it, that it tells you so much about chimpanzee intelligence and learning and culture that uh, that, that was that was thrilling. That's the only bit of video that I didn't shoot myself, that it was uh, from a camera trap that uh, was filming with, with no human around. So the chimps were really unaware that they were being filmed and their behavior was entirely natural. And that gives you a little insight into what their lives are like when the human observers aren't there. It's just as interesting, and they're using their cognitive powers and their, their uh, intelligence uh, just as much. And, and that, that, that's, I think for some people it's a re revelation that when the scientists aren't there with their binoculars and clipboards and so on, that fascinating behavior is going on. That's the sort of the magic of camera traps that captures uh, wild animal behavior without the, uh, the presence of the human. As well as the virtual reality ape app, I believe VicoTourism has virtual eco-tours um, that you can watch on your laptop or desktop computer. What is a virtual eco-tour? We do live tours, by which I mean uh, the narration, the host is live, but I'm using photographs and videos that, that are in the archive. Um, but it, in those live tours, people can interact with me. So I might have a, a classroom full of kids in Vermont and, and someone else in Australia who stay up late to be on the tour at the same time. And they can type in their questions and I can talk to them and they hear my voice live uh, answering the question they've just typed. And that's great. Imagine if you're a child in a class and, and you ask your teacher to ask the, the host a question. What's that bird I can hear in the background? And I come back and say, well, Jimmy, that's a good question. What you're hearing there is a Ruinzori cub, which only lives in the Virunga Mountains and the Ruinzoris. And so that child has just had a, a response from somewhere on the other side of the world telling you about something he's heard or seen on the screen. So that's a very powerful thing. The live tours are, are just, they're open to the world. Anyone who's online can log on to a live tour. And we advertise them on the website. Anyone going to vicotourism.org on a regular basis will, uh, or, or signing up to our Twitter feed or, or Facebook page will be informed when the next tour is happening. And again, we're demonstrating the technology, but we hope that other organizations will want to host tours and um, show the world their projects in this new and interactive and immersive and, and educational way. I think there'll be a lot of people listening to this who really like the sound of the virtual tours. The technology sounds cool, but to have access to your expertise is actually a chance of a lifetime, really. So I'll keep the a wildlife community up to date with the dates of the virtual eco-tours so people don't miss out on that opportunity. It's such a great resource to have available. And just going back to the APAP, what kit do people need to use it? Well, a VR headset and a smartphone is the, the basic. So um, whether it's a, an Android or an iPhone, um, you can download the app direct to your phone. And whether it's a, a, a cheap Google Cardboard for a few quid or a more expensive headset, I learned recently that there are two kinds of headsets, one with a little button on the side, which acts like a, a cursor, like a mouse that you can click on the cursor, and one without 
And at the moment, the app is configured so you can have it either set to gaze at the icon. And if you put the little dot in the center of your field of view on the icon, that triggers the, the next move. So it takes you to the location or opens up the video. Uh, or if you have a headset with a clicker, then you, you click instead when you've placed the cursor on the um, icon. And all this is, is, for many people, new technology, but I'm sure, again, that that will move swiftly on. But the good news is that you don't need hundreds of pounds worth of kit. If you've got a phone, which if you've got a smartphone and you can afford 10 quid for a cardboard VR headset, then you're away. As VR technology becomes more accessible, it's inevitable that people will start to experience nature more in this way. What do you feel are the perks of this? The benefits of VR is that if the the content exists to to go to other places, you you can travel from the comfort of your own home uh, at very little cost. So it makes what seem like exotic countries and locations accessible to everyone who's got this basic technology. Uh, I think the downside is that it's only two senses. You can't smell the gorillas. You can't feel the warmth of the elephant dung. When you're tracking elephants, you often put the back of your hand against the pile of dung just to see whether it's fresh or not. And if it's hot, you know the elephant's close. <laughs> and those, those sort of tactile sensations, um, sense of scent and touch. And even if, if you're in a forest and, and you, you taste nectar from a flower, or, or I, I, okay, the bonobo footage in the APAP VR, um, you see a little bit of bonobo video. And these bonobos live right in the center of the Democratic Republic of Congo, which is not an easy country to travel to. Uh, I was there with a a 3D film crew making a movie for cinema release. It isn't out yet. I followed the bonobos who were feeding high in the trees. And one of them dislodged a leaf. But when you're watching primates in the top of trees, your neck gets tired quickly. So you get primatologist's neck. And the best solution to that is to lie on the ground. So I was lying on the ground with my binoculars watching the bonobos above me. And this leaf fluttered down and literally it landed on my chest. And I looked up at the bonobo. I don't think he'd done it deliberately. I said, thank you very much. And they were eating these leaves. So I tasted it and it had a delicious lemony flavor. This is a rainforest tree. Nothing to do with lemons, but the leaf was delicious. And that's an experience that we can't yet give the virtual traveler. You can see the bonobos in the trees. You can hear them call but you can't taste the leaf that they're feeding on. <laughs> that's, that's a shame. What a fantastic story, Ian. Absolutely amazing. And Ian, I can't talk to you today without talking about your conservation work, your amazing conservation work. Um, so what projects are you working on at the moment? I divide my time between apes and elephants. Not that I don't care about all the other species, I do, but I'm hard enough to keep up with <laughs> the ape and elephant work. I was recently in, in Mount Elgin National Park in Kenya, where the Born Free Foundation fund the Mount Elgin Elephant Monitoring Team, the MEME team, and they are keeping track on the elephants. Uh, and what I found on this, the last couple of visits is that outside the National Park, in the neighboring forest reserve, where there is some human activity allowed, the park is well protected, but the forest reserve People are allowed to graze their cattle and and collect non-timber forest products. But there's commercial charcoal making going on that is literally destroying the forest around the elephants. And the elephants were really upset and and agitated because they'd recently been clashing with charcoal burners. So that's a new threat that we need to 
uh, attend to. And, and charcoal has also played a role in, in the destruction of uh, ape habitat too. And indeed, in, in much of the developing world, families that want to cook their food, they don't have electricity and they don't have gas on uh, hand, so they use either firewood or charcoal. And we really do need to help countries with that problem uh, move away from the necessity of cutting down forests to enable people to cook their food and boil their water. If you're in a country with um, waterborne diseases, you really want to boil your water before you give it to your kids, and that takes fuel. And at the moment, much of that fuel is charcoal. And whilst there is some legal charcoal, with trees grown in plantations and converted to fuel, uh, there's also illegal. And helping the conservation authorities in those countries combat the illegal charcoal trade, provide either legal alternatives in the form of charcoal, or better still, solar or biogas generators or other means that enable people to cook food cleanly without all the particulate carbon that traditional cooking fires put into the house and affects the health of the family. It's, it's a big job, and, and it takes conservation a long way from the forest and the animals where people think it's taking place, and actually it's helping people. But if you help people have a better life that doesn't depend so much on the natural resources, then the wildlife benefits too. Many of the conservation groups I work with, the Gorilla Organization, the Orangutan Foundation, Jane Goodall Institute, the Born Free Foundation, all these groups that, that you think, oh, they're helping save animals, much of their time and energy is actually helping people who can then not impact on animals and their habitat or, or have the, the time and energy to care about and, and learn about the wildlife that's on their doorstep. My work with mountain gorillas, um, which is where I started in conservation and fieldwork um, 40 years ago this year, that is, is one of the positive stories because in the mid-70s, when I got involved studying gorillas with the, the late Dr. Diane Fossey, uh, and then switching our attention to conservation because people were killing the very animals that we were studying for, for reasons that for them made perfect sense. There's a bloke in town who will give me $20. I need some money. Therefore, killing a gorilla is justifiable. Now that, that seldom happens in Rwanda and Uganda and is increasingly uh, less likely to happen in, in the Congo because the people who formerly had no choice if they wanted to get some money that was anything available uh, now the conservation organizations, uh, such as the Gorilla Organization, Born Free and Fauna and Flora International and International Gorilla Conservation Program, all these bodies on the ground are helping communities so that they value the gorillas. And the, the tourism that has grown up around the habituated gorillas, the gorillas that aren't frightened of people anymore, obviously if you, if you win the trust of a family of gorillas, you are responsible for their safety. You have to protect them. And the proof of the pudding is in the number of gorillas at the end of each year, if I mix my metaphors. Um, and with mountain gorillas, they are the only kind of ape that I know of where there are more at the end of each year than there were at the beginning of the year. So their numbers drop down to a frighteningly low level, about 250 or so in the Virungas, and an unknown number, probably about the same in Bwindi, the only two bits of forest with mountain gorillas. And now we're up at nearly 500 in each, so we're hoping soon to get to more than a 1,000 mountain gorillas from that very low ebb in the um, 70s and 80s. And that's a conservation success story. Uh, the frightening thing is, of course, that if we fail in our efforts to control global greenhouse gas emissions and average global temperatures rise, all the predictions are that southern sub-Saharan Africa will become arid and therefore the rainfall patterns will change and the forests on which the gorillas depend 
that the forests that the, the gorillas are an integral part of, they will disappear. So conservation success stories, but, but big concerns about the, um, the global problems that we're facing. And what I hope people will realize is that if you protect the forests and you protect the animals who eat the fruit and disperse the seeds for the next generation of trees in the forests, then we will stabilize our climate. If we don't protect those forests and the animals in them, we will not succeed in our efforts to limit global warming. So it's exciting that, that conservation of big, exciting animals like gorillas and chimpanzees and orangutans and elephants isn't just because they share some DNA with us or because they, they're interesting to look at or you can go on holiday and watch them. All that is true, but the bigger picture is that they're part of those globally important forests and our efforts to stabilize our climate depend on those forests being healthy. So if the health of the forest depends on the apes and the elephants and the health of the planet depends on the forests, then clearly the health of the planet also depends on there being apes and elephants. And that's why we have to protect them. And, and I hope that virtual travel will help get this across. Ian, thank you so much for spending time today to talk to the Wild Talk listeners about nature virtual reality and also about the amazing conservation work that you do, some amazing insights there. So thank you so, so much. It's my pleasure. Thanks for talking to me. Once again, a big thank you to Ian Redmond for sharing such valuable and inspiring information. Nature Virtual Reality is a great resource for nature experiences, both educational and just for fun. And all you need is a phone, an app and a cardboard headset. So why not give it a try with APAP? You can find the links mentioned in this episode and the links to the app and the headset at awildlife.co.uk forward slash Ian Redmond. And I'll see you in the next Wild Talk episode. In the meantime, remember, tip the balance in favour of more time enjoying the natural world. And if you're looking for ideas for things to do in the natural world, head over to our website, awildlife.co.uk, for nature events and outdoors activities from around the UK.